0: This is going to be a very strange season for me this year isn't it i'm going to go to the commentary box without paul for the first time since 1986. the fans are going to be looking at it very critically oh he's not the same now that uh, paul's left his side it won't be the same well alongside me now is paul showing and he'll be joining me for the full three weeks as my co-commentator for the first time to you may not recognize his face, but if you've ever watched the Tour de France, you know his distinctive and famous
1: voice. Right here comes though. He's a walking, talking part of broadcast history. Well, you're known as the voice of the Tour de France, the voice of cycling, the legend, Phil Liggett. Welcome to the Greg Bennett Show. I'm your host, Greg Bennett. And today, well, I just have a delightful conversation with a man who's become a good friend. Um, We often have long conversations, and I said, well, why don't we just record this one? And he's been on the show, well, almost two years ago, Uh, Mr. Phil Liggett, who I'm a huge fan of. He's the only reason I probably have watched cycling events for the last 30 years. And, uh, just to be able to sit and chat with him as a mate, I thoroughly enjoyed. And in this one, we we talk a lot about what he's doing in Africa, what he's doing with the Porsche um, and project in building homes and, and schools, and, and just a fascinating conversation. We do talk cycling, we do talk about his projections uh, for the Tour de France this year, and it, it's just a fun, easygoing conversation. I, I hope you enjoyed as much as I did. A little bit of housekeeping before we go on, as always. I, um, firstly, I just Thank you for listening. I truly appreciate it. And if you are enjoying these shows, these episodes, I'd love you to share them. Any feedback you want to give me is always appreciated. Uh, Guests that you'd like me to talk to or anything else, please let me know. I, I am willing and open to try any suggestions you have. And finally, you can find actually, you can find Phil Liggett on anyquestion.com forward slash Phil. That's anyquestion.com forward slash Phil. And you can ask him questions there. You can also see some of his answers that he's already done. And you can see all the other experts across the platform and listen to their answers and ask them questions as well. So go to anyquestion.com forward slash Phil. All right. Yeah. I hope you enjoy this one as much as I did. And remember, success comes to those who endure just one moment longer. All right. Today I'm joined once again by the Voice of Cycling. He was last on the show in episode 28, almost two years ago. And that is an episode you really need to go back and and check out. He truly is the voice of cycling. In fact, the recent documentary film of his life is called Exactly That, The Voice of Cycling. This year is the 50th year that he'll be working at the Tour de France and Just what a fantastic achievement that is. Add to that his 14 Olympic Games and you get an understanding of why he is held in just such high regard. Over the past few years, I've had the privilege to just get to know him a little bit more and work with him and become a friend and I'm delighted and honoured to have him back on the show. So welcome and thanks for joining me on The Greg Bennett Show. Phil Liggett, how are you, mate?
0: Greg, I am actually fine and just taking me back there to June 2020, uh, I'd been days in from South Africa. And that was the last time I arrived at Heathrow Airport nearly two years ago. I haven't been back to that airport. And you're talking to someone who used to go to the airport every Saturday to fly to the States. I know. Life has changed over those two years, mate.
1: Yeah, but you just mentioned to me just pre-show that you're heading back to South Africa pretty soon, likely, to get get back down there.
0: I am almost two years to the day because I came in at the end of May 2020 from South Africa, overstayed my visa because they wouldn't let me out (laughs) with COVID, but they'll they'll forgive me for that. Yeah. And uh, we're going back. Because, as you know, our rhino, save the rhino anti-poaching projects Mm -hmm. are still very strong there. So we're going back to a game reserve in the Eastern Cape. We're staying out there seven weeks. Um, It'll fly by. And then I'll face up to the Tour de France, which will hopefully, you're right, it'll be my 50th Tour de France. And uh, it starts in Denmark. And, you know, in all my years, I've been invited, but I've never actually ever been to Denmark. Is that right? Uh, we should put matters to the right, I hope, in July, yeah.
1: Oh, that's fantastic, mate. I, I love the fact that you're able to get back to South Africa, we almost have a little bit of a reboot, a disconnect. Has somebody been looking after your house, by the way? Two years, I've got a, f- a feeling that <laughs> the monkeys might have taken over.
0: <laughs> well, you're absolutely right. and Not the monkeys on this occasion, although we do have a lot, but we call the monkeys the burglars <laughs> and the baboons the muggers. <laughs> And I'll tell you, uh, just about uh, two weeks ago, I think it was, we have a fantastic lady. She runs a little cleaning business in the village, about uh, 30 kilometers from our house, uh, because we're in a very remote corner of the bush. And she's looked after it once a week uh, for two years now. She's been down every Friday always sends me a video. She takes me into the toilet, into the shower, <laughs> shows me how immaculate it is, not a spider in sight. And she's just a wonderful, wonderful person. And at six o'clock in the morning, about two weeks ago, we got awoke in bed, turned Trisha's phone on, and it was Lizzie. That's her <laughs> name. And Lizzie said, sorry, Mr. Liggett, sorry, Mr. Liggett, the baboons have been. And they have taken the struts out of every window on three sides of the house. But luckily because they're very clever. They know how these things work out. Very unclever to them. They couldn't get the glass out, even though they got the struts off. Lizzie saved our lives. If a baboon ever gets in your house <laughs> and we individually lock every room inside the house in case they do get in through one room, they can't get into the others. They believe me, they trash the place. Because uh-huh. I'm always seeing my neighbors, we call the neighbors, they're miles away. They're always complaining about the baboons. But, you know, they are a protected animal, the, the Chakmar baboon. They're very clever, and they're only one stage down from the human being. So they take some outwitting, I'll tell you. They do know when I'm back, they go, oh, God, the old man's back <laughs> because I only look like a gun going to my eyes, and they're off like a flash. Uh, but they don't recognize female people. And so they, they actually, Trish had a stand-up boxing match with them on the kitchen sink. They, they don't recognize women. Typical male
1: chauvinistic <laughs> baboons. <laughs> <laughs> I had no idea that's how we were gonna start this show, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> no, 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 no. That, that is fantastic. No, you <laughs> <laughs> we're talking about baboons and pillaging. I think that's absolutely fantastic. That I, I did see the documentary just recently actually. Um right. that was absolutely phenomenal of your life and times. Phil Liggett um the Life and Times, uh, you know, the voice of cycling. Absolutely extraordinary. And that that house that you've built there on the side yeah. of the river, did you you built it right, correct?
0: Not personally, but I did we had it built with a friend of ours yeah. on site. We we mapped it out with our feet and a pen and a bit of paper yeah. in the bush on the Christmas Day two thousand and three. Wow. And by two thousand and four he passed me the keys and said, you better come and see your house. There's the keys. I couldn't believe it. we just stood on the on the deck and cried because it was just a wonderful
1: thing. It's magnificent. We
0: were doing what we did best, and that was live amongst the animals, totally wild. Elephants literally come to our bedroom window. The hippopotamus are just below where we were standing. The leopards walk past at night. I mean, it's not the place to go sunbathing without uh, staying alert, but it's <laughs> fabulous. Absolutely fabulous. I mean, you've
1: always, you've always been into animals and wildlife. In yeah. fact, that was your passion probably before cycling. Am I correct?
0: Well, I always said, Greg, when I started reporting on Bicycle Riders, I am working with animals now. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> don't forget, I was a cyclist too and, and we're one step away from the animals. We're strong, tough people and we... We enjoy our sport and our life, but uh, sometimes we act like animals. (laughs) Animals are free and Mm. the free spirit of the world, and that's what we encourage, and the same with the bike riders. And dare I say the same of the triathletes too.
1: Yeah. Well they're they're one in the same the same kind of breed, mate. I think so. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Well I, I just had um our good friend, mutual friend, Christian Vanderveld on the show uh last week. Good, how was he? He was fantastic Well, we spent the first five to ten minutes, a bit like we're doing right now, talking about animals. Well we were talking about Phil Liggett and Paul Shoe and uh, two different, <laughs> two different kind of animals. But we spent the first ten minutes of his talking about you guys, and it, um. and I and I kind of left that going. I got to, firstly, I got to catch up with Phil. I just wanted to catch up, and then I was like, well. If I'm going to catch up with him, let's just hit the record button and, and catch up over, over you know, the, the podcast. Delighted. a while
0: since I've seen you, mate. We were at the Collins Cup together. That's yeah, yeah. my only time out of the UK in two years. Yes. And there we were in Slovakia together. That was Really fun. enjoyed that. That was You fun. know, for me, if uh, we we'll briefly talk about the Collins Cup here, for me it was like turning my clock back nearly 40 years. Mm. When Mark Allen came up to me on the first morning of breakfast and we hugged each other, it's like we'd never been away. Mm. Haven't seen Mark for over 30 years. Same with all the other athletes, Stadler, everybody that came up. Oh, dear me. That was a really enjoyable few days there. And what a great race too.
1: I think you just nailed it. I think for me, getting through you know the COVID times where we're all used to being travelling and seeing each other often, and mm. here we were all brought together, um, like you said, some people you hadn't seen for 30 years, but it was almost like a reunion of sorts. You know, we all got to uh, meet in the dining halls and hang out. And, and yes, the race was very special and the professional triathlete organization did a, a great job. But Thank for you. us guys and the old guard, it was almost like a, a reunion where we were catching up, whether it be Simon Whitfield, Mark Allen, Dave Scott, you know, Norman Stadler, exactly. like I said, it really was a yeah. special time for that. I, I And for me, it was somewhat of a career highlight just to sit next to you and, and call a race, you know. I, oh, thank I, you for Well, that. I know it sounds unusual probably to hear, but it's like, uh, you I know, it. It, it was a big deal. And I was pretty excited about that.
0: <laughs> I enjoyed it immensely. It was a challenge. Let's face it. We had 12 different monitors oh. to keep an eye on. With and, no the and no the audio.
1: Remember that? The headphones didn't a work. Few, few, <laughs>
0: but hey, it was a, that was a huge uh, a gamble to, mm. to do a TV show like that at that immensity mm. which was 12 events going on at the same time we needed eyes in the back of our heads and with respect to our co-commentators that was a tough call for them too because they know the sport mm. uh, but they don't know the inte- the, uh, the complications of a television as technically difficult oh, as that that
1: was amazing anyway
0: man. we got by and the reports were great so.
1: it was fantastic Yeah. us but...
0: hope I get back to do it again
1: next year That oh, it'll be fantastic or was it this year I can't remember I I this think year, we're into huh? this year now.
0: <laughs> oh my goodness! See, I don't know where I am now because I never leave my home anymore.
1: <laughs> I know it's all a time warp. It's like trying to just figure where where you are in the world now. It's like, oh
0: my god! I tell you, throughout my my travelling life, you get up in the middle of the night to go to the loo, as we say, but you can't remember the layout of the room because you weren't in it the previous night. <laughs> Now I've got no problems. Have you, I'm always in the same house. I can find the loo first time.
1: You go to a hotel and you you you, you, you <laughs> go up the stairs and you turn left and you walk all the way down the hall to your room and go to unlock it and realise, oh, that was where you were last weekend. I'm, I'm actually, <laughs> I'm, I'm meant to be well, down the I, other end of the hallway I, on a different, you know, room altogether. How many times
0: do you innocently give your room number <laughs> as the previous night's room when you are at a restaurant or the bar? Yeah. Uh, not done intentionally at all, but numbers just run into themselves. I know. Because, you know, I used to stay in a hotel uh, one third of the year will be in a hotel bed mm. out of the 365 days yeah and it's it just const- all gone it all fell with the axe it'll come back partially but never be the same
1: again. no i don't think well ha- on that have you um have you been able to enjoy a little bit of the commentary work from home has there been a comfort a to that
0: yeah. Not the hours I'm getting up because, no, yeah. uh, as you know, I work largely for Australian television, mm. American television, um, two opposite time scales there from um, mm. opposite sides of the globe, uh, and, and South African TV. And South African TV are two hours ahead of us in the winter. They always start the bike races at 5 to 6 o'clock in the morning, and I did some commentaries for them. But for me, I was getting up a quarter past two in the in the night mm. and starting work at three o'clock sharp and doing a four hour commentary. Uh, I'm going I'm finished at 7:15 in the morning. Uh, which is 9.15, a very sociable time of day in Cape Town. Mm. So, yeah, it was different, but it's something bizarre. Shouting at the television screen in your kitchen with <laughs> it being dark out the window. Can't You're looking at the kettle within reach but can't quite get it to turn on and you can't leave your comedy position. And, heck, these people are 8,000 kilometres away and so on. Anyway, it's, it's been a challenge and it's been fun. And boy, it's it's pretty, the people in television have become really technically very very fantastic. It's amazing what time. they've
1: been able to do, isn't it? I was talking to yeah. Christian about that last week, and I know yeah. he's become yeah, a bit Christian's of your doing
0: sidekick, isn't he as well? He's just done Paris Nice.
1: He's just done Paris Nice, and for yeah. him, with with young, you know, he's got a couple of daughters, and I think they're almost teenagers, or they are teenagers, and they're uh, fabulous. Kids she's too, able to. By st- way. He's able to stay at home, and he says, you know, it works out well being on the east coast of the US here because he'll mm. get up and he'll call a race between sort of six and nine in the morning or whatever six and ten in the morning yeah
0: he's finished he's finished and left the studio by 10.30 well his studio is his basement
1: office. he doesn't even have yes, to go so anywhere he's
0: he even at home I don't even he's, go into the studio yeah anyway. I think for the Tour yeah.
1: de France he'll go up to uh Connecticut Stanford Connecticut into the yes, studio yes he have
0: a studio there but That's he's not correct. coming
1: over to France I think he was hoping to go over to France and be in the studios and things over there but no. they're, they're bringing everything back the, back the last
0: I heard was uh, there will be no return to the old times we had a crew of some 80-odd people on the Tour de France. Now all we're going to have is a couple of cameras uh, to do little special shots, Mm. two reporters on motorbikes and two commentators, and there'll be nobody else there on the tour. Everybody will be fed. It'll all be fed back into the studios, Mm -hmm. and those boys will be getting into the office at 3 o'clock in the morning, and they'll go on air around 7 o'clock in the morning. For the Tour de France, yeah, but happily, I'll be I'll be in France, so I'll be real time.
1: Yeah, and you you do that with Bob Roll is he your sidekick Bob kick? Roll yeah. yeah,
0: we'll do the commentary. We have two great reporters who will do the talking to the riders and stuff. There's talk of me doing a little bit more envision stuff. To, to actually prove I'm actually standing at, underneath the Eiffel <laughs> Tower or on the Arc de Triomphe or somewhere in, in the Pyrenees or the Alps because they have got to get value for money, you know. Yeah. So I might be doing a, a few hello and welcomes from the venue nice. in Vision, which yeah. I never did when I was normally covering
1: it. Yeah, you'll be presenting more than just... Uh- it could be, yeah. yeah. Well, but think of the money they're saving now. Oh, it's unbelievable. And
0: I don't I don't think they're suffering either. I think the viewers are getting good value for the money. Well, our viewing figures suggest that, that there was never a reason to go back again because the last two years have been done from my home, yeah. a studio in Sky Television in West London, while Bob Roll was in Connecticut in Stanford. Yeah. And uh, they have been get, they've had the two biggest viewing figures in the last decade is that right? Consecutively. Wow. So why spend the extra millions? Oh yeah. And 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 lose your half your viewers? Mm. So it doesn't make sense. It's incredible how and I'm glad they're putting me back over there.
1: No, I know, because there is something about being there and the, the, the smell, the taste, the you look at you can f- you know, if it's yes. raining you're there and you can sense the trepidation. Yes. You, you, you it's have always
0: a- nice to be freezing cold, like the riders, yes. <laughs> well
1: remember yeah. that's how we were in Slovakia. Remember how cold that suddenly got and we're all freezing sitting outside. Yes, in that I, b- I
0: regretted not taking the, the the umbrella from the hotel. It was quite a walk to where we were commentating. <laughs> there was no way I could run back one put it that way yeah that was a mistake yeah just
1: shifting gear a little bit um how's the response been so far for your documentary film which was extraordinary by the way i absolutely loved it i know it's out in australia and canada and i believe the uk i'm not sure if it's out in the us yet
0: well that's the problem it's not it's uh covid has uh as, as hurt us they were very well they were lucky in the first aspect it took them two years to make the documentary and it cost quite a few million dollars as well it was an australian film crew Mm. And they just got home to Melbourne, locked stock and all the excess baggage of stuff they took from my house and settled down in the studio outside of Melbourne to do the big edit and put the whole show together mm. as COVID mm. hit. So they were actually, well, the producer was going to work on his bike and he had to stay completely separate from everybody else and started making the film. Now, it came out, and they did a great job in australia well it, it was Australian backing that produced the film, so they they went out there. Oh, the reviews were just made me cry, but the things people said were were just so gratifying I just felt really honoured indeed, and it is a good it's not just about cyclists let's say the normal human being can watch the show as Mm, well. mm. The animal aspect is there, of course. We lost Paul Sherwin uh, as the film is almost being made, and after 33 years, so he's in the film as well, and so we cover his uh, unfortunate death. So Australia got the lot, and they just took it so well. Then New Zealand followed, and they put it into New Zealand. Mm -hmm. Then we tried to move it to England. We had two premiere dates in the centre of London, in the West End, at the Odeon Cinema, which is where <laughs> I laugh at this. All the film stars get the show there first, <laughs> uh, and it was all set up. And it, almost the day before, it was pulled by COVID on two occasions. So oh. it's never got to England yet. Oh, it hasn't. No, it has not been seen in England. Oh, any in the what a shame. Pikachu, who know me? And it's cost me a fortune in beer to show them on my on my TV. So <laughs> I've got a copy of the film. But however, I am doing a, a few little private jobs, yes. and we're hoping to do a few in the states. But it, we have now got another distributor who seems to have the contacts. Ideally, I'd like to see it pumped out just before the Tour de France on American television. So uh,
1: I'm sure they will.
0: There's a lot about American TV in it, and how I, in fairness, American TV kind of discovered me when I started working with them in the mid-80s. And then uh, it was the Americans who wanted me to start commentating on downhill skiing, alpine skiing, and ski jumping, and I won awards for that. And it was those guys who got me there. By the way, you said I've only done 14 Olympics. I've done sixteen now. Oh, come on, Greg, do your because,
1: homework, mate. I'm I'm yeah, incredibly yeah, that's embarrassed, Phil that's, that's right. Absolutely a disgrace. <laughs> I'm sorry, mate.
0: <laughs> oh, dear. My statistics are so long now, I forget them myself, so I can't <laughs>
1: complain to anybody.
0: But I'm the other I'm married to Trish for fifty-one years next week. Oh, I must remember that. Huge congrats, I, mate. I keep
1: forgetting that that fifty one years. My goodness.
0: It's ridiculous. I, it, it doesn't feel like last week. Yeah. Well that's because Trish and I never got on. But you know, it's unbelievable.
1: Yeah. <laughs> well, you haven't seen each other for 50, 50 well, of those years. COVID's brought you it's, together. It's almost it's like you're took, having your honeymoon.
0: Changed, like you see, two years <laughs> back at the house, um, I know that all Trish's girlfriends have been saying, well, how's he doing? How is he? Because he didn't go away now. How are you getting on in there? And Trisha gives some answers like, well, he's all right, but he, there are we have our moments. Um, because <laughs> every relationship does. Trish has remained uh, very much a sports person. She's very fit. She dances every day of her life. Uh, life has not changed because I come home and want some dinner. We still live our same lives, in honesty, but we still do things together.
1: Time. Well, I just want to talk about that documentary one last bit. And when it does come out, listeners, go check it out because it is, it's as much a, a journey of your life as it is a journey of cycling for the past 50 years. It, it, yeah. It's fantastic. Uh, and the rhinos and, and everything that you're doing in South Africa is front and center. Paul Sherwin, and it's just a very special. It's a connection that you two had, and it's a great story that just remembers paul and and you There's more to it than just simply following you know your life it's the way you impacted the things that you have been have surrounded you. I thoroughly enjoyed it so um everybody there's so many good things out
0: there greg it, it, sometimes if you find yourself in a privileged position to do something about them to the better then my attitude is, let's do it. Mm. Um, I'm at that end of life now where I don't so I sound very morbid. I don't quite mean it as it sounds. But, you know, I've had a good career and I've made money and I'm happy to give it away if it's to the right places. Mm-hmm. And what I tried to do when this show went out in Australia, they hired cinemas, whoever was doing it, and I, by the way, I never made a penny. There was no money in this for me. This was a film of my life, and that was enough for me. Mm. But everybody else is due their money back. So when they put it on this cinema in Melbourne, I think it was, and I used to, when the, when the filmmakers sent me a, a note, I, I did a, an envision video, and I put it over to them, and they, they put it on the front of the show saying, welcome, little bit of history, how the film was made, only for two minutes, and now sit back, enjoy the film. And then at the end, uh, that somebody at the cinema would say, don't leave everybody because Phil Liggett's coming on live now. We thought you might like to speak to him as a Q&A for 30 minutes. Mm. And so the audience stopped leaving and I could now see the audience and I was in my kitchen in London. And of course the time difference meant I was probably rather late as well, or early, whichever the way it was. <laughs> and so I did a Q&A and the third person to stand up and uh, give a question was a New Zealand guy. Um, very difficult to tell the difference to us commoners with the accent, but he was <laughs> from uh, Auckland. And he just simply said, he said, Phil, he said, um, I've always uh, enjoyed your commentary, but I, I now am full of admiration for what you're doing for the wildlife of the world. He said, I'd like to give you $10,000. And I, because the lion was great for me to them, apparently, but it wasn't so good from them to me. So I said, I'm sorry, did you say you want to give me $10,000? <laughs> he goes, yes. I said, somebody in the audience, get that man's name and give them my email address. So that was handled. Within a week, he'd sent me $10,000 mm. and it was full of praise. And we, I told him where it was going. It was going to the, to the Rhino mm-hmm. and to two certain parts of South Africa. And I turned that money around. I had him send it to me here because foreign currency into South Africa is a problem. And I got the money out of my account in South Africa and sent it to the two venues I wanted. Uh, They were over the moon Mm -hmm. because desperate in COVID. The the anti-poaching units, nobody can afford to pay them. Uh, You know, they've got to earn a living and they couldn't go around and check out in the middle of the night for the rhinos, etc. The rhinos were in danger. Anyway, the success story is both the venues I gave that money to have not lost a rhino during these two years of the COVID, not wow. one. Wow. So that guy became, his name is Mark, I won't tell you any more about him, but we are due to meet again soon, uh, somewhere around the world, because our paths will cross, and he's, he's full of ideas, and my hat goes off to him.
1: Firstly, a big shout-out to Mark. Yes. Secondly, if people do want to donate, uh, it's Helping Rhinos is is that where they go?
0: Yeah, there are two now because we're also building a school for young women uh, to, who can learn the basics of life, like cooking and sewing, mm. in the Karamoja area of Uganda. The reason, Paul Sherwin lived there. He loved those people. He could speak the language fluently <laughs> and they looked up to him as someone very, very special in their lives. Every one of them attended Paul's funeral. And we've we formed the Paul Sherwin Project, which is simply that Paul Sherwin project dot uh, com, mm-hmm. and you can read all about it. But the first bricks have arrived because we sent them sixty five thousand dollars recently, all given by cyclists, and we, we've got a target now of one hundred and thirty thousand to finish the project off, and we promise we will get that money for them this year. We're on the way, so. Uh, at the moment, I think I'd like to see that project finish. If anybody is so inclined, and I never beg of anybody, and understand completely, but if they were to put any money in, please check out the Paul Sherwen, W-E-N, the Paul com, and there's a donate button on it. Perfect. And every penny goes to them. Uh, we have a wonderful board of really senior people in the world of cycling, and, of course, Paul's wife, Catherine, uh, who is, like like most of us, has never recovered from the loss of Paul. He died of a heart failure. He just never woke up. Wasn't
1: expected. 62. 62 is way too young. Uh, and
0: it was a tragedy.
1: Yeah, absolute tragedy.
0: We're going to have this building finished this year, and there'll be a little plate on it with Paul's name on. And the people will be so – they're just so grateful. I've, I've, we've spoken to them. They come on, you know – to talk to this lady called Florence who's in charge of the project, you listen to her for two minutes, you'll be in tears and you'll want to give her your bank account. She's that sort of person. She's just fantastic.
1: I love it. I love it, Phil. Well, I'll put that in the show notes as well um, so people can easily donate. That's very kind uh, right? oh, oh, that of you, Greg. Of course, That wasn't why
0: mate. we were talking to each other. It was
1: just no, of course, of course.
0: I don't like... Uh, I hate asking for money, to be no, absolutely but, but honest, I'd give it myself and say nothing.
1: <laughs> when, when, the, when the purpose and the reason, uh, you know, align, I think that's, I think it's wonderful.
0: You know, we are living a life of luxury in modern America, modern UK, yeah. to what's happening around the world now. It's, when we watch what's happening in the Ukraine, Trish and I just, just tears. Mm. How a minus seven degrees. And these people are living in dugouts. It's just unthinkable. No. Anyway, let's not get on to that side of life. No, it's well, a happy well, interview. No,
1: no, but it's it's okay to recognise things around us. I think at the I, at the I, end of the I agree. day, I agree. What we're actually saying is we're incredibly grateful for what we have, and and we all should be. I'm never forgetting. grateful I'm, and I'm, thankful.
0: with my very job. Mm. I, I, you know. As I said earlier, I've earned a lot of money doing this job. Mm. I started commentating in 78. I started working as a journalist leading to commentary in 1967. At the time, I was really wanting to be a cyclist uh, and was making very good progress. But I I took this job not knowing where it would take me. Mm. But it took me to the very top of my profession. But on the way, I met so many great people who have been so helpful to doing everything. And I've always laughed with Trish. When I got my first paycheck from the BBC in the late 60s, they paid me. I said, look at this. They've just paid me £15, which these days is about, for, I don't know, $25. They just paid me $25 to give them 30 seconds and talk about cycling. Yeah. Nobody's interested in cycling. Uh, but how the world changed? And, of course, I managed to turn my hobby into my life. Well, you're a big uh, part of how, no how the
1: world world changed and their views on cycling. It it became it was fairly European-dominated and, and not a lot of English-speaking. and Not at all. To have someone like yourself present it to the rest of us and the rest of the world, you really were – the catalyst to get cycling out of europe and to the rest of the world and
0: i was very happy in that respect i actually was the first guy to bring a team of american cyclists as a as an, a usa team to the to the uk tour of britain which i was the organizer that's of. right yeah i had a plaintiff call from a guy called carl barton who was a brit but he was a top man in Rally boston in the usa and uh, he rang he said phil I wanted to accept, would, you, would I consider accepting an American national team for the Tour of Britain? And I said, Carl, I'd love to, mate, but they're no good. <laughs> and, <laughs> and it was going to cost me a lot of money. He says, I promise you, if you take the team, everyone will finish the course. And they did. Mm. And what's more, there were good bike riders, real good people like John Alice and Mike Howard. Jim Okovich came later. Jim became the manager and owner of the 7-Eleven team that went to the Tour de France. Mm. Uh, Christian van der Velde was one of his riders, as was Bob Roll, etc. Mm. So the Americans were starting. Mm. Within the, I think it was uh, 1983, they had the winner of the milk race. It surprised them as much as it did anybody else. But nonetheless, Matt Eaton won the Milk Race. That's what the Tour of Britain was called.
1: You were the race organiser for that as well, weren't you? The, milk yes, race no, the- well,
0: yes, the Milk Race. We called it Milk Race. Not everybody remembers it. I was the yeah. director of the race for 22 years. Mm. Yeah, That's right. While at the same time doing everything else. But uh, I was lucky. You see, I was a pioneer in, in every way without trying. I just did it because I wanted to do it, not because I had ambition to succeed and take over the world of cycling, I became the youngest guy to become an international referee with top marks. I did it because I felt it would help me be the director of the milk race, not because I had ambitions to be going to the Olympic Games as a race commissaire. And I, was, I, re- I did the world championships as well as a commissaire, but nobody else could do it. Nobody else was there to do it, and I just was lucky enough. I innocently took it on board with both hands with I, no ambition to be any more than myself.
1: It's, I, I love that... Um where your passion can take you, right? I mean, yes. I want to refer to any question where you've been on there answering so many wonderful questions, and your answers have been just phenomenal. And I love just rewinding <laughs> the clock a little bit where you talk about your PE teacher calling <laughs> calling you a useless <laughs> athlete. A useless athlete. <laughs> 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 a
0: useless His name athlete. Was Mr. Partington. Yeah. He would well gone now, but he, he was a... Uh, he was a fit little bat, little man, and and he came up to me and he said, uh, I, "I said I, I can't do, I can't swim, sir." He says, "Just get out of my sight." He says, "You're absolutely useless." He said, "Go and have a ride on your bike for forty-five minutes, which was the length of the period, and then come back." So I actually got to leave the school on my bike for forty-five minutes and come back which is what I did. But at the end of the the time I was at the school, I was coming up 18 years of age, time to move on, exam results time. They altered the prize for English, Uh, so they gave me Shakespeare's book as the English prize because I I beat the golden boy in English. Now, that was another piece of luck. I I had to write an essay on crustacean of the sea, which I loved all that, so I, I just wrote it. I could have written for a week. Then I had to write another article on locomotives, steam locomotives. I'm a complete nutter on trains. <laughs> so I wrote that and then just answered the usual grammar questions. That wasn't a problem. All of a sudden, I was the best. And I was never showing any signs of being the best. Uh, but then Mr. Partington came up to me that day and signed the inside of that book, And he, he signed it. He said, one day I'll see you in the Tour de France. Uh, All of a sudden, we were the best of friends because he knew I was doing quite well on the bike and I didn't go around telling him. He must have found out. Hmm. Um, But I I do laugh when I think, well, he was right, but he didn't expect me to do 50 tours of France and not
1: win one of (laughs) them. You do get get there. I mean, that's the other part. That's
0: about where it ended, yeah.
1: Just a quick break to remind you to go check out Any Question. You can go to anyquestion.com forward slash Phil. That's anyquestion.com forward slash Phil. And ask him any questions there that you want to follow on from what you're listening to here or listen to some of the answers that he's already done there. Go check it out. I love the when you answered a question I can't remember the exact wording of the question but something about what was your best career failure or something and you oh, yeah. and basically how wanting to be a professional cyclist and yeah. then kind of finding journalism was the ultimate you know career failure if you like because you wanted a career as a professional athlete and a young Eddie Merckx had something to do with that didn't
0: he <laughs> He did indeed uh, Eddie we weren't friends then, uh, but we certainly became friends later, and we are friends now, very much so. I admire Eddie Beyond Belief as my finest athlete. Mm. But, uh, yeah, what happened was I, I, I think I bumble my way through life the more I start recalling these tales to you, Greg. But <laughs> the thing was that I was racing in, in the UK and for the club on Merseyside, and we had the best cyclists on Merseyside. That's undisputable at the time. Uh, they always said, if you won the, the Tuesday night training bash, you'd ride for England. And, you know, I would be in a bunch of maybe 50 guys, and 30 of those guys would have already have ridden for England because we were, they were all being picked from the area where we lived. We were the best. I wanted to be, I decided I was quite good at cycling, so I, I went to Belgium. But on the way to going to Belgium, I started writing the club news report for the two local newspapers, the Birkenhead News and the Bebington News, for nothing but I wanted to see the guys who've ridden at the weekends get their just dessert in the papers. I kept all the cuttings, of course. Then I went to live in Belgium to try and make it as a pro, and I started racing there, and I realised that there was quite a few good guys there. Americans were there. The odd Aussie came up. There was all the Brits. We were living in little houses rammed in there because we had no money, and racing, and there was no... We were riding big races, and nobody in the magazines in England were writing about the exploits of these guys, and that annoyed me. So I rang the magazine up. I said, hey, we've got all these guys out here, and, and Tommy Simpson was a world champion mm. uh, for the pros, and nobody was writing about all these races. So we can't do that. We've got no money to have a reporter out there full time. they do an old report for us. So I did. I did the odd report, which led to every Sunday night, sitting in St. Peter's Station in Ghent, uh, where I was living just down the road, putting in a reverse charge call to London, which took two hours to return so I could make the, have the talk. <laughs> and I used to dictate a story every Sunday night. And they paid me, which was pretty useful out there because I had no money. I did that for the whole time I was living in Belgium. And then I went home and I got my pro contract. I was going back the following year. And that was, life was good. I it it didn't have any money, but I could ride a bike and I was doing what I wanted to do. And so I went down to a, a local factory in a village called Port Sunlight Village, a village that was built by Lord Hume for all his employees. I went into the personnel office and said, hey, uh, my name's Phil Liggett, and I've got three uncles work for you. And between them, have logged 160 years service. And I want a part-time job. The personnel manager looked at me and said, what? I said, well, who are, the, who are your uncles? I Told him, checked him. He said, you're right. I said, yeah. He said, okay. What do you want to do? I said, I'll do anything. I'd like to carry churns, milk churns, because it's milk because that will strengthen my back. I'll do anything you like. So I finished up doing carrying milk churns, pumping sugar, and serving at the banquets. You know, sending the stuff through from the kitchen to the tables. Well, during that period of time. The magazine rang me up as I was preparing to go back to Belgium and said, hey, come down for an interview. We've got a vacancy. I said, what? And so I went to London where I'd never been in my life when I was 23. Hmm. And Mum said, what are you going down there for? Because they're all Southerners down there. They're <laughs> only 300K away, but the North and the South, never the train shall meet. Yeah. It's pretty similar now. <laughs> and so I went down, had a lovely interview, loved everybody. Uh, and I didn't get the job. But the guy they gave the job to happened to have more experience on the newspaper and I had none. And he left within two months. So I got the phone call. And the phone call said it was Friday lunchtime, one o'clock in the day, never forget it, 1967. And the editor said, Phil, Nigel's left. If you're here at eight o'clock Monday morning at your desk in Fleet Street, you got the job. There's no more interviews. If you're not there, we understand. That was Friday. I went home, said to my mum, I think I'm going to London, Mum. That's when she said, you can't go down there. It's full of Southerners. So I said, well, I'll be back next week. And that was in uh, March 1967, and I never went back. Uh, And I got the job, and again, I followed my nose. I had no ambition to be a journalist. I just wrote because nobody else wrote. And then as I got there, I started to commentate. I went to bicycle races as a journalist, reporting them. First of all, I was riding the bike races. The editor said to me, he said, now look, I know you're still racing your bike, but I'm going to tell you right now, it's good to have a cyclist on the staff. The deal is, you can ride only the biggest races of the weekend uh, because that's where the biggest riders are and you can write about it at the same time. And the problem is, on a Sunday night, we had to go back to the office in Flea Street because the paper went to bed and printed the next day, Monday. So... I rode the biggest races, but they were often 300 kilometers away, and I had to get back home, write the story. And I was finished up sleeping on the mailbags, getting up at 6 o'clock Monday morning to make sure the paper was sent down correctly. And then when I was in the race, I mean, I was knackered. These guys were still training like professionals, and I was fitting in long hours at work Mm. and trying to train, so I couldn't keep up with these guys. But I got into the break one day, and I still had my friends in the peloton because I wasn't far divorced from racing in the north of England. And I remember that the, the British champion was a guy called Peter Matthews, and he was a funny bugger, but we had some good times together. And I got in this breakaway, and, of course, the usual big ugly comes to the back and says, hey, get to the front and do some work. I said, I can't, I'm knackered. He didn't believe me, of course, thought I was waiting for the sprint at the finish. <laughs> and so my mate Pete just dropped to the back, and Peter was a, much faster than me anyway in the sprint. Pete said to him, leave him alone. He's he's in the back because he's got a typewriter in his back pocket (laughs) and he's writing the story about you. So just get up the front and do some work and don't worry about him. <laughs> and I said thanks, Pete. <laughs> and I, I, I mean, I was got blown away. Probably I can't remember the end of the. Race. Oh, I was going to That's say, that, did that you that come around him at the end? It's it. true. No, I would. not wouldn't dare do that. Um, the first one to hit me would have been Peter, <laughs> yeah. because he's a fast sprinter and Peter's actually in the film. He's actually in the film because they found him, and, and he's he's a born comedian.
1: That's awesome. So all the
0: people, all the Beatles people from Liverpool, are born comedians. Yeah. So that so All of a sudden, I was a journalist. Then I picked up a microphone because nobody was talking to the people in the street, telling them what they were watching. Did it for nothing. All of a sudden, I was a commentator. Then BBC asked me to do radio. All of a sudden, I was a radio reporter. And then uh, after three years, the uh, milk marketing board said, would I consider organizing the milk race? I'd have to leave my job in Fleet Street to do it, but uh, I was only going to be a three-day job. I thought, yeah, sounds great. The biggest thing I'd ever done was a 10-mile time trial in the Birkenhead North End. That was the biggest thing I'd ever organized in my life, a 10-mile, 16-kilometer time trial. Mm-hmm. And here I was organizing the big, on the biggest amateur cycle races in the world. Some would say it was the biggest.
1: That's awesome. And that
0: was a great success story. And during that, I became a commissaire. Um, and then, sadly, uh, the guy that worked on the milk race as the announcer got killed in a car crash. I was his best mate. We did a couple of early tours together. Mm. And in 1978, when when David got killed, I, the, the ITV television rang me up and said, Phil, if you want the job, we're not advertising it because we know David would have loved you to have been the commentator with him, but we didn't have money for two people. Now it's your chance. What do you think? I said, I don't want anybody to ever think I asked for his job. They said, well, you didn't and you haven't. So... We're offering it to you. Mm. I said, I'll take it. And that's how life started in television. And so it went on. Never asked for a job. Honestly, I've never asked for a job. This is my first job on leaving school, which was an, being an accountant. That was the only one I applied for.
1: It is just like how the cards fell, you know. It like, is it's totally. It's, it's like fate well, and, and follow your nose. And, you know, there's no post-education uh, beyond just diving right into what you love. Well, I wasn't right? educated yeah. in
0: school. I left school because there was no money in my family. I couldn't go to university yeah. because my parents wanted money in the household. Mm. had no car, nothing. No, it, my, my bike was my transport.
1: It, it really is just following your
0: nose. Mum always says, you're not like other boys. She never said what she meant by that. but She said, you're not like other boys. And uh, I'd love her to, to know how my life panned out because she knew... I was not going to be like other people.
1: Amazing. (laughs) Well, you're certainly not. And uh, (laughs) let's move forward a little bit um, because one of my favorite – stories that you've shared before and, and you did share it on any question when somebody asked you know what was the mm-hmm. highlight of your There's career good
0: questions on there i've been i've been very full of trepidation when i've been pressing the answer button because these guys were asking and girls were asking me some amazingly question, well thought out questions that, well
1: that's the thing I, i'm
0: enjoying it i'll be honest greg i'm enjoying it
1: well, mate, I, I, it's it's so wonderful to have you on the, on the app answering questions. And we have Lydia Jacoby, who's seventeen and a gold medal yeah. swimmer. And we have yourself and Frank Shorter, you know, um, yeah. America's finest marathoner in history, on the older, slightly older end of the spectrum. And it's nice to just have yeah. the the full spectrum of wisdom coming from the great thought leaders of the world. And so we we feel very fortunate that you're on there answering questions. But I love the one where you. You describe the highlight of your career, and I know mm-hmm. it's the '89 call with um, Greg, yes, Lamont, Greg and, Lamont and finyong and and yeah. just t- take me through that. And I love the little bit of what the producer says to you after you're getting your prediction completely wrong. <laughs>
0: <laughs> you remember the story? It was '89. The tour was the big return of Greg LeMond, of course, so, and Greg had to really find a contract. Uh, in '89, because he was, you know, his shooting accent after he won the Tour de France in '86, mm. so '87 uh, saw Stephen Roach win, and '88 Pedro Delgado, and '89 LeMond was back, and boy, he never came back believing he was going to win the race. Uh, but by that period of time, Greg and I had sort of blended a reasonable friendship, uh, but he, and he wasn't thinking of winning the Tour. However, once life got going and he started to look like it, he got on the team and he came to the start. Now, when the race started to ride really well, all of a sudden Greg was there. And so too, of course, with Laurent Fignon. He's twice a winner of the Tour at the time. Mm. And Fignon was going to be the favourite all the time. But it was one of those Tours. There were never more than, well, at one stage it stretched out to just over a minute, if I remember rightly. But most of the battle was one-on-one. Greg would take the yellow jersey. So Fignon would go and take it back. Greg would win the stage, so Fignon would go and win the stage. And then towards the last week of the Tour, it was Fignon in yellow. When the riders came down to uh, Chambury, mm-hmm. Chambury, no, Aix-en-Provence. Mm. Can't remember
1: now. I've, I've anyway, trained in Aix-en-Provence. Provence, I know that Yeah, they, well, well, it's yeah. by the lake, isn't yeah, it? They, yeah, come down, they
0: came down this hill off the mountains, the yeah. five leaders, and they all fell off at the roundabout turning for the finish. They all got back up and they all crossed the finishing line. That was two days before the Tour de France finished in Paris. <laughs> Now, at the time, Fignon was in yellow, but the man that won the stage that day was Greg Le Monde. The man that finished second was um, Laurent Fignon. The man that finished third was Pedro Delgado. Fourth, I'm coming. who was fourth, I think it was La Anyway, The first five riders in the same order as they, 48 hours later, would finish the Tour de France. Wow. That was not noticed by anybody, except when I started looking at facts after the race was over. So we got down to the Palace of Versailles, 24-kilometre time trial. I remember it was a lovely day. Paul and I stood outside that magnificent palace at 9 o'clock in the morning and did a piece to camera. Paul was pretty much a rookie at the time because Mm -hmm. he'd only been with me two or three tours, and we'd known each other for quite some time. And so I looked at the camera, introduced the Tour de France coverage, Uh, said let's have a look at the overall standings. Well, there we are. Laurent Fignon is leading the tour, 50 seconds ahead, going into the last day. It's only a short time trial. Paul who's going to win this talk? because Greg LeMond's in second place, which in itself was a brilliant story. I mean, he would have been happy to finish second, having been shot almost dying mm. only two years earlier. And so Paul looked at the camera and said, well, he said, it can't be anybody but Laurent because Lauren's a great time trial rider, which he was. He's a Frenchman, which he was. Uh, he lived in Paris, which he did. And uh, he's got 50 seconds in hand. I looked at the camera. And said, well, I think Greg LeMond's going to win the tour. And I reckon he'll probably win by six seconds. So we stopped the tape. That was taped. And we sent the tape by satellite to London to be put on the, on the front of the live show. Mm. So the recording was on the front of the live show. And uh, then Paul and I got in the car and we were driving nicely towards Paris for a cup of coffee on the Champs-Élysées. I had about four hours to kill before we started work on the, uh, on the, on the time trial. And so Paul said, what do you say that for? <laughs> I said, look, of course, of course, Fignon's going to win. I said, but I don't want the viewers turning off before, before the race starts.
1: <laughs> yeah, you've got to so create let's, a- let's
0: make a bit of suspense. <laughs> I said, and if Greg Lamont wins this race, Paul, it's not going to be by very much, is it? He? Yeah. He's already 50 seconds behind. <laughs> and so that's how we left it. Well, Paul was always good and loved figures. And he had got this time trial, worked out the gains required and what it was going to take. And so when we started commentary, the next day, by the way, I advised Paul, I said, you were so good on that commentary yesterday. You want my honesty? retire now because you won't be any better. Uh, That's okay. for the next day. Now we're back to the ride. So we're all getting in position and we're calling it out nicely and then Paul, we're waiting for the big start. Last, to, Second last start, obviously, Greg LeMond.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, he had the tri-bars on, which really... Uh,
1: that was the first time, right, they'd been seen in the Tour Yes, de it was, yes, but yes. he had a one-piece... Uh,
0: he, he had the tri-bars which had been approved mm-hmm. and Fignon had not, for some reason, tried to get his approved. It's a very complicated tale. mm Anyway, Fignon came last, so he's about two minutes, I think he would have been, on the start, behind Greg. Mm-hmm. So we were watching uh, watching the call, Paul was calling it, we were trying to get our best gains, Paul had his own stopwatch going. He was reckoning that Fignon had to make this gain of around 1.2 seconds, uh, slightly less, whatever it was, for the kilometres. And uh, no, 1.5 seconds, it was 24 kilometres, and it was 50 seconds down. Mm-hmm. And he was doing it. And Paul was calling it spot on. I I kept thinking when I was calling, Gio, Paul, Gio, he's not making a mess of this because he's he's, he's so confident he's calling it right. I had to go with him (laughs) because we're alive, you see. But he he was the most brilliant, accurate call he ever did in his life. But then when uh, Le Mans came down from the Triumph down to the finishing line, crossed the line, he had a time on the board. So we now knew Mm -hmm. exactly what Fignon must do to cross that finishing line to win the Tour de France. And here was Paul calling with 5K to go. He's only five seconds to the good or whatever it was. And then at the finishing line, we got past the 250 and it was around 220, 230 meters from memory. The clock went past the time set by Greg Lemond mm-hmm. required to win the Tour. And it took him eight seconds, Fignon, to get to that line. And I said, I don't believe this. This was live to the audience, of course. I said, but Greg Le Monde has just won the Tour de France by eight seconds. And the producer in London, who was a, a grizzly guy, who was a real top man, so well-known in television that everybody saluted him, just put the key across in my right ear and said, next time, Liggett. Get it bloody right! <laughs> well, that cracked me. I burst into tears, oh. and I had Greg LeMond jumping for joy and tears pouring down his face. With Kathy on my left, I had Paul and Finian literally at my feet, curled up like a fetus on the floor, crying, oh. and there was me crying, trying to look at them both. It, it was a bizarre scene, wow. but it was.
1: Wonderful. Was that the last time they finished with a, t- a time trial? Yes, it was. Funds? I don't think they've got the
0: nerve to ever do it again. <laughs> I don't because know. You, I think you, it's
1: you, great TV from what you're painting, I think. Well,
0: <laughs> well it was as it worked out, but now yeah. I, I, it'll never happen again. I don't think they'll ever finish with a, with a time trial again. Yeah, 89 was the last time they did finish. Greg was, was rightly surprised, but it had been that sort of tour. Mm. And the, don't forget, the first five riders to be the final overall was the same five riders who crossed in that very order two days earlier in Aix-en-Provence. It was just unbelievable. Everything was unbelievable about the whole thing.
1: I love that. I love that story. I love the way you tell it. (laughs) Uh, It's very, you can picture it, you can see it, and you can feel it. I'm talking to
0: some scientists in South Africa, in Peter Maritzburg, um in april i'm going to
1: tell them that story now you like it yeah absolutely now you're someone you you do you you i remember sitting next to you even in slovakia you you love your note taking you take a lot of notes and and you do you really are fastidious in the way you prepare you know the athletes again i I heard you sort of talking about your note taking on any question and there was the eric zabel yes and getting the happy birthday right on the finish i think that's great (laughs)
0: <laughs> yeah that was in Charleroi when the race came into Belgium. Yeah. Eric was the was the sprinter of the time. He was holding the record of green jerseys in the Tour. Mm-hmm. Uh, he became a friend too by the way because he liked Trish. Yeah. Um, that's another story. We met but complete I was sat in a restaurant on on the seafront in Cape Town and Eric was there with Jan Ulrich and the team. They they'd just gone to Africa to go training by themselves. And at the end of the meal we'd never spoken. I saw him over there I wasn't going to go over the whole team we, in the sort of hole in the corner. Eric came over and just said, Phil, I just want to say hello to your lovely wife. Just, and I didn't really know Eric. I said, well, be my guest, Eric. That, that, he was such a gentleman. Since then, Eric has become a, a, a great friend. Mm-hmm. That's an aside. Eric was celebrating his birthday at the time. and the, the whole point of, we we're, were always conscious, and I drill this into Paul. I said to Paul, we're not cyclists neither are the people watching our program. So don't, uh, don't talk down to the viewer, but educate them so they can enjoy what they see. That's what we, I decided we would do. I said, now today is Eric Zabel's birthday. It's a perfect stage for him to win. And if he wins on his birthday, we've got a great story. So what we decided to do that day was to keep the viewer's eye focused on Zabel's position in the peloton. And in the last 20K or so, we took the viewer into that peloton, constantly showing where zarbel was moving to, where the wind was changing direction, how clever he was to get his team here. So, uh, I thought if, if we cock this up, I was thinking to myself, we're going to write idiots. But anyway, we'll do it. And as we were coming through to Charleroi, Eric got himself with his lead out boys in perfect position. The finish was a formality down this long straight. Charleroi is a beautiful Belgian city with a lovely cathedral in the backdrop. Here comes uh, Eric Zabel. He hits the line, puts his hands in the air, and my final words was, <laughs> happy birthday, Eric. <laughs> and I thought, um, well done, Liggett, and show him because you got it right. You got it but right. I didn't say that. No.
1: <laughs> <laughs> high five. At least you're probably doing those little high fives in the booth or little fist bumps or whatever. We, we, did, we got we that did. one it right. It
0: was just so perfect. And I've told Eric that story since. I've yeah. told him at the
1: function since. Yeah. yeah lo- You've you also mentioned that, you actually don't think you're talented, you're just having fun. Exactly. What do you mean by that? You, you, well, you so just...
0: When I listened to myself back maybe two years later, I said, where the hell did I get that fact from? Because <laughs> I've forgotten it now. And I just can't, it's, it's like when I'm ski jumping or, or downhill skiing. I look at the tapes very rarely, by the way, very rarely, but people tend to dig them out and send them to me. But um, I suddenly, bloody hell, that's, that was a nice piece of information. I wonder how I did that because it's, it's not premeditated. It's like my ligatisms. People call them ligatisms. I did, not they did. Uh, I mean, I just look at the picture and and write the script to suit the picture because with CBS, we always wrote scripts, mm. and they had to be perfect. I, I talked about the roller coaster of pain, and that was just because they were riding up and down on the cobblestones in the paris Bay, <laughs> And the American producer thought, that's that's great, man, that's great. Yeah. Use it. I, I, so that's just what the television told. But people think I sat at home writing all these down. No, yeah, you know, I, I, I know, nothing was further from the truth. I didn't know I was going to say them till I said them. Yeah, I had no premeditation about anything. Um, and because they have the liggett show in bingo for set phrases, you could get it on the internet. And people crossed off the phrase if we said it until they until they won a line on bingo. <laughs> Well, there's, they didn't know how, how lucky they were. If they got the same phrase twice. The, the, the one that probably makes stands out is when I, I still use "dancing on the pedals," mm. but it was really done for, for uh, Pedro Delgado in his day as a great mountain climber, all those years ago in the eighties. Um, and I, I called uh, Mark Cavendish for the first time. It was me that gave him the nickname "the Manx missile," and he's just been fired, because. I I didn't go to the board saying I'm going to call Mark Cavendish the Manx missile. That's what it looked like. He left that peloton so fast, I just said the missile's been launched or something like that.
1: Of course, everybody else claims it title now, but it was me that gave him that title. How much of it is you and Paul just having such a strong mateship that you end up just, <laughs> you're having so much fun together, together that these things just... Yeah. Pop up, you know, when you when you're at the bar with your mates and you're just having a bit of a yarn. It's amazing what comes out of your mouth. How much of it is that kind of a thing?
0: Well, for me, virtually everything, because I sometimes see Paul look at me, but he can't speak, and thinking, "What the hell are you talking about?" No, I <laughs> can just see his expression. Paul was a fast learner, very yeah. intelligent guy. Yeah, he studied newspaper technology, funnily enough, which he never used at Manchester University he got his education and then immediately the next day packed his bags went to France for 10 years became a very very good professional bike rider mm. so he was he was clever now when I made the offer to him in 85 to say I hear you're retiring Paul how do you fancy working with me he simply said I'll give it a go
1: yeah.
0: but you know because I was working with American TV, which he wasn't. When well, I took him on board, he was only with the English TV. The Americans got to like him as well, and they integrated him with me on American TV. And Paul learned very quickly how to write scripts because he hadn't a clue how to write scripts. Because so, writing
1: a book and writing a script are two very different so, things. So hang on, when you say writing a script, you have an outline well, it, for the day, or...? No, no. American TV didn't do
0: live television. They're always oh. afraid. They, they like that delay button in case you swear or something, so they yeah, get it out. Yeah, yeah. So this way, it's changed now. Yeah. But this Now, in those days, they would, every three days, they would give me a finished film of what's going to be seen on Saturday. Oh, on that's way next. harder,
1: isn't it? Oh. It,
0: oh, it is. And oh, I would have to work, work through the night to write the script yeah. because I'm working all the day on the tour. And then gradually Paul came in. So you keep on press go, press go, rewind, press go, watching what they've given you, oh. which is silent movie, and you literally write the script. So when a guy, and he punched him on the nose, you've got to have that line exactly on the time code when he punched him on the nose. <laughs> and so it's much different to writing a book. Oh. But Paul learned how to do it, and he wrote some very good scripts after that. He learned literally how to write, And we just blended so well. We never, ever fell out. We laughed. For the first 10 years, we shared a bedroom because we wanted to, because cyclists always shared rooms. There's all these girls booking our hotels for CBS and for ESPN, and I insisted that we shared the same room. Talent doesn't share rooms. They have a suite upstairs. And so I said, no, no, we've got to be in the same room. They probably thought there was other things going on, but of course nothing was further <laughs> from the truth. We used to go to bed laughing.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a couple of yeah, nights in you're away. Because you tell
0: me stories of life in the Peloton after 10 years the, doing the Tour de France. And I learned things I thought I knew everything. I know half of it. After Paul told me about his mates and his his personality kept you going. If morale gets bad, that's how he kept.
1: So despite his music. Oh, his music, uh, <laughs>
0: he, well, he, And he plays it all the time. <laughs> Funny enough, I'll drive for 10 hours and I won't put any radio on at all. Mm. I, I just let my bra- – I'm, I'm thinking all the time, but I'm not interested in listening to music. Yeah. Anyway, we got rid of those when they blew us up in Spain. I so love that. It, <laughs> it blew,
1: you, blew your car up and they got rid of all the uh, all yes, all the did. tapes. And it
0: wasn't our car either, so there's a bonus to everything. Yeah.
1: So. <laughs> I love – some of those stories are phenomenal. They are all uh, in your documentary, but I – um.
0: The, they are, the, yeah, yeah, they are. It, it's, it's, it's a story of life, really, I think, my documentary. It's not somebody – doesn't understand saying, like, oh, i'm not watching that all, oh no 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 no. no! and that's not it's not what it is it's about no, it's about it's passion and, and interest Trish and i both yeah. cried when we saw it we couldn't believe anybody would want to make
1: a story of my life i love i love that trish was throughout the documentary too by the way yeah, I she, think got, well, was, she wasn't
0: in the beginning but yeah. when the guys came to to do the documentary the first time they came on location we were in south africa yeah and they came They saw the deck. They saw the house. They started saying, oh, my God, this is unbelievable. Then they saw the discussion I was having with Rangers about what we can going to do about the poaching and stuff. Then they saw how involved Trish and I were together. They threw the script away. They rewrote the whole show.
1: Is that right? Simple as that. Yeah. Yeah. No, I I did like that. I love the the partnership that you guys have had, you know, through thick and well, she's and, silly uh, and
0: she's dancing with the elephants. Yeah, in, she is in, dancing in the with the elephants right. on the deck Oh, my there. goodness, yeah. Mia. Lost the did plot. Did you realize mate. that if you that trunk, you'd be on the roof of the house in 30 seconds, in 30 seconds
1: <laughs> in three seconds flat rather. Uh, uh, you were yeah. asked um, the greatest athletes of all time and yeah. the three top greatest athletes of all time. And I, and I like this answer because... Well, you can take me through them if you mm-hmm. remember them, but you put them on any question I can give you a lead if you don't remember. But the number one was obvious, Eddie Merckx. Yeah, Eddie Merckx, yeah. 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 Number two, you had – Because
0: was one – this isn't the same as the one about my three famous people,
1: was it? No, 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 That's this is a different expression. one. And okay, you said well, yeah. Mark Allen and then Hussein Bolt. Yeah. And I thought to have yeah. Mark Allen in yeah. that mix with those two was, was really but, quite see, thrilling. I,
0: I was really raw. On mm-hmm. triathlons, you might still say I am, but I was really warm
1: <laughs> no, no, I covered
0: a lot of the nice triathlons, yeah. which is, it's it was down in on the Cote d'Azur. That's yeah. a tough old course for the guys. Oh, I think Mark Allen won it ten years straight at the time. He was the Eddie merks of triathlons, and he lived in woods. He was the Zen man they called him, and he, I sort of got reasonably close to Mark because he was always the man that CBS wanted the interview with, I and mean, we we had sit-down interviews in hotel rooms before the Ironman. And and I remember him running down and it's killing me, but I can't remember the guy he caught. He was a German, but he he started the last night, last leg, which was the run, of course, eight or nine or ten minutes behind, mm-hmm. and he ran him down about five. I think it was, 13, think it was
1: thirteen minutes. And it could be. It could be. The, it's a long oh, time oh, ago. German. My goodness, Greg, come on. He did end up going on to win. uh, Yes, he did. He did, and
0: he was—he was always there or thereabouts anyway. But the run by Mark, Mm. it was like watching a steam train. We had a camera head on to him, and he was puffing and blowing. And he was coming. He was coming. He was coming. Then the camera swung round. There was the man, and he passed him. Brilliant, brilliant athlete. And, um, yeah. And my other favorite athlete is Greg Welsh. I've had lots of fun with Greg. Oh, Yes. I actually
1: he, haven't had Greg Welsh on the, the, the show yet. Um, oh, you've got to, um, you got to well, I know that. I've, I've the, actually asked Sweden, him and he was meant to come on once. You about tell it.
0: him I, I said, you've got to come on.
1: <laughs> yeah. Because
0: Greg and I, are we just, great. he won Foster Tunkery Ironman mm. at the same time is soon to be wife, won the women's event, Sean. That's right. And, uh, I was, uh, but I was actually there in Foster toncurry in Australia, and the first to finish, I, I got to Sean, and she was speechless. I said, "Sean, you've got to answer the questions you know?" She said, "I can't, I can't believe you're talking to me." <laughs> I said, "What?" I said, I, I did look special because I had a suit on, um, in the, you know, they were very posh in those days, television, suit and a badge. Yeah. And then Greg finishes, and we do Greg as well, who's leaping up in the air. He leapt up and crashed through the tape and stuff. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, that night, I'll tell you, they both went into the nearest pub.
1: Oh, they enjoy a few pints. They enjoyed a few pints, those guys. Oh, by the way, um, Thomas Hillregel uh, uh, is the... Um, athlete that mark allen oh, well ran down and oh, uh,
0: you, i've been trying to re- i'm not joking i've been wrestling with this now for some years yes i never bothered to look thomas, at thomas
1: but he ended he did end up winning in the late 90s there again probably did, 96 he did, he did. 90s. actually 96 was luke van liad so they he,
0: were great athletes
1: oh yeah phenomenal Dave
0: scott scott tinley yeah. uh, mike pig yeah they were just fabulous people and yeah uh you um, the guy Jürgen Zack.
1: Jürgen Zack.
0: yeah. At the time, he set the 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 best time ever seen for the bike ride, 180 kilometer ride. Yeah. He was a bit th- thick built, but he was
1: a strong boy. Have you seen how fast they're doing it now for this 180k? These guys, it's like it's down to the you know four hours now for the 180k, and they've done a swim before it, and they're running a marathon yeah. after it. I mean. The guys are just getting, I mean, yes, there's a little bit of aerodynamics there and, you know, the equipment's a little bit better, but you know, my goodness, it's unbelievable. Now you did mention earlier, just a few minutes ago, um, when I was about to ask you about, you know, the three greatest af- athletes of all time yeah, yeah. and three, uh, living people. And I loved your three, um, mm-hmm. that, you know, you would love yeah. to meet if you could, or have dinner with, or, yeah. uh, however the question was phrased. Who were those three?
0: Well, the one that I've always wanted, well, the two, were Nelson Mandela, I never got to meet him, and uh, Sir David Attenborough Mm -hmm. because of his love for animals and his understanding of why animals are so important to survive and that if the animals don't survive, it's a guaranteed certainty the human being won't survive. Mm. He's 90, I think he's 95 just now. He doesn't live far from me, but I've still never met the man. Is that right, yeah. He, He sees life as it is and where it's going. And he's such a wise man. Mm. Mandela, well, <laughs> I, I'm only full of full of praise for that man. Mm. How he, he hasn't got
1: a hatred hated bone in his body. Was it 23 years locked I up think on 25. that island? 25 years on that island? Yeah. But I
0: did see where he was, his final incarceration. I was very privileged. Mm. I was covering a race which finished outside the prison near Wellington and Paul. And the warden came out, one of the, one of the chief wardens came out. And he came up to me because he knew I was a journalist. He said, "Look," he said, "Um, "if you're interested in seeing Mandela's a place where he was incarcerated, uh, I can take you into the prison, which is very much an active prison. There's a lot of lifers in there, and so (laughs) I couldn't get anybody to go because the journalists that were on deadlines for the race. But I said I would love to come, so he took me, and I walked past all these guys that were trying to strangle me as I went past (laughs) the bars, and uh, and we went way into the into the bush because what they did with Mandela they built him a bungalow. This is when he was off Robin Island." and now being get ready for being returned to proper life. And so we went to this bungalow, which had a a swimming pool, and a huge wall. The wall was very high, about four or five meters high, all around his bungalow. Now, he locked himself in at night, and that was for his own safety, uh, because he was never locked in. He wrote his book inside. That's what he did all day long. And the reason they built the wall was because about two kilometers away with these posh cameras, they could climb trees and they could photograph him in the swimming pool or sitting outside doing his writing. <laughs> so they stopped their view. But the guy who was the warden who took me was the man that looked after Nelson. And he said I used to take him out in the car every day and nobody knew he left his, left his room. <laughs> I would go and I would take him home in the car. I would call for lunch with my parents Uh, And I wouldn't even tell them he was sat in the car outside. And then he would just take him back to jail. He was just making it, getting him used to going out into the public eye again. He was never, ever recognised by anybody because they never knew he was there. Uh, It was a great story. And then, of course, Nelson, uh, the the brilliant Rugby World Cup, Uh, which South Africa won, and Nelson came on stage wearing a rugby uh, jersey. It was just too good to be true. It
1: was
0: fascinating. If the world was full of Nelson Mandela's, We'd be in a happy place. Yeah, fascinating, fascinating. Yeah.
1: Uh, I mean, yeah. they, there's two. I mean, they're extraordinary yeah. people. Who's your third? Oh, the Queen. Ah,
0: well, the Queen was very special because she gave me a medal. Yes, I thought something was. A, I thought it was a joke when I got this letter from 10 Downing Street, where the Prime Minister lives, and it said, uh, "Mr. Liggett, if you were to receive an award from Her Majesty, would you accept it?" And the reason they say that is because in the 70s. The Beatles sent their medals back as a sign of protest, which they regretted later in life. But at the time, they got the MBE, which I got, but they sent it back. So now they check you'll take it and save the embarrassment. Uh, so, of course, I said to said somebody's taking the piss here, because it's a very uh, played-down letterhead. It's embossed, just white paper with a white emboss. And if you hold it to the light, you'll see printed through 10 Downing Street, London, SW Waller or 11 or whatever it is. And so I thought it was a joke. Then I got to read all the pack- paperwork I had to fill out. I said, this can't be a joke. Um, so I filled it all out. They don't tell you the the exact medal you're getting. They just said an award. So I filled it all out. Back came the reply. I was bound by the code of the secrecy, not to reveal it to anybody except close members of the family. But I could expect press calls on and after the Queen's birthday honours list. hmm and that, that was it. And then, so when I went to the Palace six months after that to receive the award, it was very funny. I mean, I'm, I'm in the huge place holding area uh, at the top of the stairs in Buckingham Palace where Trish had been because she went to the Olympic Games and therefore she'd been to the Palace. I hadn't been. She knew the way to the ballroom. And then <laughs> we, we, we got upstairs and I just um, found like-minded people. I found one guy, I remember, who'd been given an award for the British Waterways. Well, I was a great canal enthusiast. He had an earring and a ponytail, and he'd been given a, a, a British Empire medal, I think, for his services to the canal system. He was a great character. Anyway, the, the huge, huge door standing at 20 feet high swing open. In walks this man with a red sash on. Morning, everybody. Morning. Nice to see you all. Well, you all must be very famous, otherwise you wouldn't be here. That was his first question, Uh, first uh, declaration. Then he comes in and says, right, you're going to meet Her Majesty herself today, which is uh, very, very good because she doesn't always do these awards. He says, and I want you all to pay attention because it will make your afternoon far more enjoyable. So I'm going to show you how to curtsy. (laughs) Right. So he, he walks up there. He says, imagine I'm you, to the ladies, you turn left here at the carpet You look straight at her majesty, who will be about 50 feet in front of you. You will bow, straighten up, and then walk towards her. She's only a little lady, so don't stand too far away, because she will want to shake your hand. She will offer you her hand, you don't offer yours. Right, got that bit. She will ask you a question. By way of reply, do not give your whole life story. (laughs) There's a lot of people getting awards. Right, got that, yeah. And he says, then you just retrace your footsteps, but go the opposite way, otherwise you'll clog up the corridor and, uh, and get out, basically. And uh, Now, um, he says, let me just um, tell you that for the ladies, you curtsy by going the right leg in front of the left leg and bowing, or the left leg in front of the right leg, it really doesn't matter, he says. But let me give the ladies a fair warning. Don't go down too low as i known them never to come back. <laughs> Absolutely fantastic. So I remember I, all this, and we get to meet the Queen. I, I bow and I walk up to her. I had a top hat and tails and white gloves and all I had a little palafin area. And she put her hand out, and like I shook it. And she said, uh, this cycling is getting very popular, isn't it? I said, yes, ma'am, it is. She said, and uh, that was it. So I got off. <laughs> but when I got round the back where they box your medal, the guys there were getting the box ready, and they said, how did you get this job? I said, "What? How did you get on television doing cycling? Everybody in the, in buck house watches you, you know." I said, "What? No, we all love the Tour de France on television." I couldn't believe it.
1: Oh, that's I, so great! The last
0: people I thought would watch the television was Buckingham Palace.
1: That's fantastic. Thank heavens I've only
0: said nice things, but I, I have to admit. I am a total royalist. I'm very proud of it.
1: Well, well, let's make sure you get a lunch with with the, with the Queen, but you know, <laughs> I've met most of them, but I've never had. Long.
0: Well, hey, no, hang on. I did. Um, I did go because I was president of an association. I did attend the Queen's uh, Golden Jubilee. Oh wow! Um, as a special guest with Trish. Yeah. And that was a, an occasion. If a bomber gone into the tables that day, oh. we had the whole of the government, the whole of the shadow government. We had all of the past prime ministers still living. We had the whole of the royal family on the top table and there was me and a guy who had just lost his Rolls-Royce who had been pinched the morning before. He was from West East London from the Barrows and um, I just met again a lot of people. I remember when we were announced by the pike staff men and banged the pike on the floor. They're going, Lord and Lady so and so, Sir and Madam so and so, Mr and Mrs Phil Liggett. <laughs> <laughs> and I walk in and I got in there, and I said to Trish, "I said I have never been to a function in my life, but I've known absolutely no one." Wow! And that was true. And that was in two thousand and five, I think. It's, I it's, it's
1: always a bit shaky when that happens. Uh, I love it that was story. I met some great I'm people. a bit of a royalist myself, and I, uh, oh, I love it. and I, I mean that the the show. Uh, is it called the Crown? I think that did a lot for the Queen and the royal family. I think it people did. are now yeah, understand. Yeah, watched
0: every second of that. I watched most of it. Now.
1: Yeah, I mean, didn't paint a real great picture of uh, Prince Philip, but it uh, it definitely was. People, if you want to watch a great show, it was a great show on Netflix. I want to just shift gear a little bit because I want to. Yeah, I want to just predictions for for this year's Tour de France. Um, you know, we're still several months away. We still haven't had a lot of racing for you probably to be able to predict terribly much a lot of people still are hiding the form i think uh, uh, yeah. young i'm gonna get his name wrong and you did tell me pre-show po- po- <laughs> it's a teddy pogaccia pogaccia thanks mate pogaccia yeah. i mean is There's he going for a little v's on the sea pogaccia is he going for a third you think i mean is he can anybody beat him? There, yes yeah yeah
0: and he could get it i think he's riding out of his pants just at this moment in time yeah he would love to win milan Remo. Are coming up yep however I'm not sure it's a race that really suits him down the ground he's also afraid he can't he can't shake them all but we'll see it's about 20 years since we've had a long break win there mm. he'll be the man to beat because everybody says he's the next Eddie Merckx I, I hate that phrase nobody's the next Eddie Merckx it will be the next Taddy maybe mm. he is showing to have the similar talents of Merckx in as much that he loves his bike riding mm. he loves to win and he races at every opportunity, and they are the most difficult cyclists to beat. He doesn't know when to say no. Mm. Um, That's why I could never get near Eddie Merckx. He was attacking (laughs) from the gun. And, you know, everybody believes he can't do this, he can't keep this up, but he could. And so can Taddy Pogaccio. Taddy's fascinating.
1: I was talking with Christian Vanderbilt yes. last week about that. Uh, you know, he the guy him. The guy has the, the mountain jersey, the, the white jersey, the, exactly. the yellow jersey. Never been done before. And he's done exactly. it twice in a row. I mean, it's really quite he's extraordinary. And so
0: he still qualifies. Well, he was the youngest winner of the Tour de France since inception, 1904. Mm. Henri Cornet won after a disqualification of the older ste- elder statesman uh, Pogatchet is something else mm. and, and it's amazing
1: is he still riding for UAE or? yes he is and
0: that team is having a still a start to the season they are
1: uh, yeah.
0: not least helped by him but there's others there too there's an American as well Bender McNulty also mm-hmm. riding mm-hmm. superbly uh, for them winning and of course the accident to Egan Bernal when he hit this bus while he was training on his time trial bike is very serious and that, although he's saying he might get back racing soon if these injuries that were given then I don't see how he can get, get back racing soon. But on the other hand, his is far more important than riding a race this year. But we'll see. But he won't get back for the Tour de France. No, no, no. That's no, 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 no. Way. no that-
1: So So
0: that's, that's sad because I think he would have been on a good year this year. There will be challenges. Of course, there are challenges, uh, not least. Um, I, I actually don't know who's riding yet. I haven't read all the things, but Roglic will no doubt feel he's
1: got to ride. Any British-American uh, <laughs> going for the overall? Or we kind of had our heyday with the Wiggins and Froome. Well, I think
0: or- the I think uh, Yates is, Adam Yates, yeah. Simon Yates is going for the Giro. Adam Yates might well be heading up now for the Tour.
1: Okay. Uh, he'll yeah.
0: be alongside Carapaz for Ineos. Yeah. Let's see how they shape up in the... Uh, the spring Classics yeah. just now. So we're having a full season, which is absolutely fabulous, although riders have been dropping out Uh, like flies with with the the common cold now they don't call it cold it's not common
1: have you had the recent cold it really does knock you for a six this new yet it does (laughs) (laughs) and and bronchitis as well which is the cyclist
0: nightmare this time of year i'm still struggling with chest i've
1: had like four of them i think this year it's just constant um yeah yeah. um now we and we don't talk even though we had
0: ninety-seven thousand cases in the uk yesterday we don't talk about it anymore no Nobody talks about it. It's nice. We're far too busy now with the ukraine russia war. There's always something. Uh, It's it's all changed.
1: All right, mate. Well, this is this has been absolutely wonderful just to catch up and chat and listen to your stories.
0: I've remembered more things than I've forgotten.
1: (laughs) (laughs) And so, what's next for you? Off, off to South Africa for seven weeks in in the next. Is that next week or two? You said.
0: Yes, we're going on the. uh, Immediately after Paris-Roubaix. Perfect. I'm doing paris Yep. but I will, I'm not going to Paris-Roubaix. I'll do it from London, yep. uh, like I did last year. And I've, I love that race. Oh, yeah. And it'll be on uh, Peacock mm-hmm. in America. Two days after that, it's hot-footing then to to Africa. And then we're staying there till the last day of May, flying home. And that gives me the whole of June to prepare for the Tour de France, because we go to the Tour three weeks after that.
1: That's fantastic. And then we're,
0: then we're in uh, We'll be in Denmark. I think it'd be a great race. And, of course, history in the making with – it's not really history because we had a women's tour before, but people, people forget the Tour feminine of the 80s, which yep, was brilliant
1: eighties.
0: yes, yes, um, and was much further and harder probably than the one we're going to see this year. But nonetheless, it's good to see the women have hit the highlights now all over in every direction in cycling.
1: About bloody time cycling. Oh, absolutely. Oh, my goodness. I absolutely. mean, I've enjoyed mountain biking for years on Red Bull TV, and I've got to tell yeah. you – for the most part, I often enjoy the women's racing more than the men's. It's yeah. like when you look at Kate Courtney, Yolanda Neff, and and, and these and Paula, uh, Pauline Ferrand Prevot, who's won on the road as well, world titles. Yeah. And, and watching these women go head to head, it's just been phenomenal racing triathlon. We've had it for awesome. years. Brilliant brilliant women too. It's like oh. come on, come on, road cycling. Get, catch back up. <laughs> so it, it yeah, is great now,
0: and, and that that race will start the last day of the Tour de France and race into a very difficult part of France across to the east. Mm, It'll mm. be a fabulous race up the they uh, Belle de, des Planches Filles Oh, it'd be fantastic. Oh, I'm
1: glad. I'm, I'm glad. that, And that's the thing. To it, yeah. It'll it. It'll just continue to grow. they just got to get the open that door, get their foot in the door and really help it grow.
0: The only one regret I've got is that uh, I've not been asked to do anything on the World Championships in Wollongong, ah. which is a great shame. What, what, what I don't date? even know who's got the TV right. Yeah, well, when is thing. that?
1: What date is the World Champs in Wollongong? Uh, it's August into September, I think. Oh, ah, mate, you've got to get down there. Yeah, it would have been nice, but I don't think I will. be. Yeah. <laughs> All right, well, hopefully I'd like to get back to Australia at some point. I haven't been back home for I should imagine. quite a few years now. I've got to get my mum out. I haven't seen my mum Everybody's
0: letting so. everybody back in now.
1: Yeah, it's slowly, slowly well, opening hoping up. I'm to be back for the tour down under next year. Yeah, for Christmas at least to be nice. All right, mate, well, yeah. this has been absolutely a pleasure and a thrill well, you know me. Really i really enjoyed it Rick. very nice of you to think of me again of course and I enjoy these conversations this is uh, you know this kind of a recording of this kind of show is probably less of an interview and more of just a relaxed chat and I enjoy just I like those best of all yeah my
0: best speeches come out of questions honestly yeah they really do a good question really gets inside me and I can the
1: pictures all flood forward again Perfect, mate. Well, thanks for joining me, and, and thanks everybody for listening um, and sharing Absolutely. the show and all the feedback. I hope
0: they've made a couple of cups of tea as well. and I enjoyed the
1: <laughs> They're usually template. out working out. Most of my listeners, they're on their bikes and running, and oh, uh, you. you know, listening to us I chat. You,
0: Ron, and now I look at you, and you're also fit. I, love no, it. I do ride a smart trainer uh, probably twice a week. Oh no, challenge myself because I know I can beat myself.
1: Yeah. <laughs> I can only I can only beat my new self, not my old self. I don't I don't like well, that's to compare. Also true. Yeah. Yes. All right, everybody. Well, you can find all the show notes, timestamps, links, coupon codes at bennettendurance.com forward slash media.
0: Thanks a lot for listening. If you enjoyed the show, your support would truly be appreciated. You can visit the Patreon page, or you can subscribe with your podcast app of choice. Don't miss the next episode, so subscribe and be notified. For show notes, if you want to know more, please visit BennettEndurance.com. I'm Phil Liggett, and on behalf of Greg Bennett, here's to the next time, and I hope you will join Greg again very soon.